Welcome to the St Emlyn's Podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall. And I'm Simon Carley. And in this rather special podcast, I've talked Simon into discussing something that is really down the less perhaps exciting end of emergency medicine. The question for today is how do we get paid? Why does this matter? And how can we improve some of the data that we produce? This is something, Simon, that's been close to my heart for a bit. So hopefully you won't mind if I just sort of go on about it for a bit. Uh, Yeah, sure. I'm really interested to know where we're going to code this podcast, because coding isn't the sort of thing which I find terribly exciting. There's not going to be there's not going to be any bougies, fingers, scalpels or tracheostomies. Is that right? And not once shall I mention cricoid pressure, but I'm hoping people will stick with it. Okay, go for it. So I think we need to start off by saying this is specific for England, not even the UK. This is an English issue for this particular details I'm going to give today, although most other countries code in similar ways. So Simon, I'm going to ask you, how do you think we get paid for the activity we do in emergency departments? Um, This sounds like something we should be asking in a management viva. And as an examiner, of course, I would know the answer to all of these sort of things. I wouldn't have to, you know, gen up on it just before the exam came through. Um, But I think it's a combination of things. We get paid for the activity that we do. And some of that activity depends on the severity of the patient. So we have different streams and different categories of patients and we get paid different amounts for them. You're not far off, I have to say, and it does make a bit of sense. What we do is we do things to patients, we do investigations and we do treatment. And these are then coded, however you might do that, usually now via an IT system. We used to do it via tick boxes. And that goes into a relatively straightforward formula about how you get paid and the amount of money you get paid. Now, this might sound incredibly dull, but actually it really matters. So what you put into your discharge summary about what's happened to the patient makes a massive difference to how the hospital gets paid. I'm just going to tell you a couple of things about how that happens and the quantities of money we're talking about, just to give you an idea of, of what why this matters. So if we think about some of the things we do, let's, for example, take blood tests or ECGs or an MRI scan or a CT scan. These are ordered as part of something called the HRG4 codes. Now, HRG4 means health-related grouping codes, and it's the fourth iteration. They did it three times before. This is the fourth, and it's supposed to be the most representative of what we do. You take that investigation, like an MRI, CT, ultrasound, whatever it might be, and then you add it to the treatment, and you get a code. And there are 11 different codes. Simon, what do you think the most amount of money we can get paid for an emergency department attendance might be? Oh, well, you know, I mean, you could see a really complex trauma patient, maybe a traumatic cardiac arrest. You could do lots and lots of exciting things. So, gosh, that must be worth thousands of pounds. Well, with major trauma, you're not far off if you complete the major trauma extra tariff. But we're not talking about that now. We're just talking about normal ED tariffs. So- All right. So something that could be really complex for us. So making a diagnosis of ACS. So okay. patient, yeah, yeah. So come through ACS and maybe admit them to coronary care. Okay, so you might do an ECG, you might do a troponin blood test, you probably do some plain x-rays, and treatment-wise, well, you might give some intravenous drugs, let's say. So if you look at the HRG4 code, that doesn't actually score you that much money. That would probably score you about £139. £139 just for that episode. I told you you'd find this interesting. The most we can get paid is actually £237 for the emergency department episode and that's only if we do three different things one is resuscitation so if you resuscitate somebody you get 237 quid thrombolysis that's worth 237 quid and if you're in an eye casualty doing laser eye surgery that will earn you 237 pounds 
I don't do a lot of laser eye surgery, do you? Not often, but you, you can tell Mrs. C that if she's ever in her eye casualty and she lasers somebody's eye, that's the equivalent of doing a complex resuscitation. Uh, the most we can get paid is 237 quid. Now, underneath that, there's 11 codes of how much we can get paid, ranging from that right the way down to if we don't do anything. So if you just see the patient, you don't do any tests, you don't give them any treatment, they come in and they see you, they get, you get paid 58 pounds, 58 of your English pounds for that. And in between, there's all sorts of different other ones. But how we code really matters. If you do a CT scan or an MRI scan or an ultrasound even, that's really important because that will get you the extra money that you can then put into your resources. So doing a fast scan and doing some vital signs, so just recording vital signs is regarded as a treatment. Ultrasound plus vital signs, that's £164. The thing that gets me, though, is, and when I've had similar conversations about um, this sort of thing in the past with their staff, is they say, you know, I didn't go into medicine to become an accountant. I went into medicine to do stuff. And, you know, seriously, is it really that important to do all this tick box? A really good question. And I struggle to, to convince people that it's important. I've... I've had the absolute joy of being part of the team that implemented our IT system in our hospital. I happened to join the consultant body just as it was happening. And as the new boy got given the job no one else wanted, which was to help put this computer system in. And it seems that it's hard to then give that away again. So I've had that now for six and a half years. And I have to try and persuade people that this all matters. And it matters for lots of reasons, not just the money that you earn, which is actually quite important, but it matters as to how we're perceived by our commissioners and the CCGs that we call them in the UK. So there's a lot of publicity at the moment about patients who come to the emergency department who don't need to be there. People that general practice believe they should see who come in and don't have anything done and all they get is advice. All of that information comes from the codes you put in to your IT system or your tick boxes once you've seen the patient. If you just tell people that all you've done is chat to the patient, that's what they believe you've done. And then you get asked, well, we want to remove these attendances. Or did you know that 50% of people coming to your emergency department shouldn't be there? I saw on a Channel 4 documentary, they, they quoted 70% of people didn't need to be there. And that's all because of the quality of the coding. That's, a, that's an interesting one about the, the, the doing nothing, though, because I mean, the, I hear that a lot and I see it done. But actually seeing people listening to their problems and giving them advice and reassurance, is that really a nothing thing? Well, it's regarded as something that could maybe be done somewhere else in our overcrowded departments. So others may see it as that. If people become aware of this, I'm, I'm always going to be a bit sceptical about these sort of things, if you don't mind me saying so. But... I could, if I wanted to, I guess, go in there and say, OK, guys, we're going to do health screening. We're going to do an ECG on everybody over the age of 40 so I can bump up the codes and get a bit more cash. Like any system, you can manipulate it as if you want to. But the truth with this one is, is that you don't really need to. So just by doing a set of vital signs on a patient, all you need to do is a set of vital signs, pulse, blood pressure, that takes you out of the lowest tariff and it earns you £20. Now, think of how many patients come to the emergency department who have vital signs recorded. For us, it's every single patient who comes in via ambulance and an awful lot of our patients who are seen on what we'd call the minor side. And then when the CCG look at these patients, they will no longer be in that bottom code and regarded as inappropriate attendances. So you don't actually need to do anything differently. Just keep do doing what you're doing and record it accurately. And that will then get you the right tariffs and the right cash. And it'll tell people what the work is that you're doing. 
I must admit, I did have a little insight into this a couple of years ago when we were thinking about buying our first ultrasound machine. And one, I seem to remember one of the reasons why we managed to get it through was that because we could code for our own ultrasounds then done in the department, we could have an income stream coming through that. Because I think ultrasound scores quite highly, doesn't it? Ultrascan scores you really highly, just the same as an MRI scan or a CT scan. And I can't find anywhere that it has to say who does that ultrasound or what that ultrasound consists of. So, yeah, an ultrasound gets you up to at least 164 quid, sometimes 210, if that's done in conjunction with other treatments. Well, I have a little bit of a sceptical head on there, so you can try and persuade me that this is really important. If I start doing this in my emergency department and we start earning loads of cash, does that mean I'm going to have lots more money to invest in the emergency department? That very much depends on your hospital and how that the money that comes in is then apportioned around. You'll still have to go and bid off for different services or if you want to get a new ultrasound machine, you're going to have to make the case for that. But just in the same way that the guys who are doing the complex triple bypass surgery may not see all of their money, you might not see all of yours either. There is one other thing that I haven't quite mentioned yet, and that's to do with what we do when we don't succeed with the target. Because in their greatest wisdom... The individuals concerned with this have introduced fines into our emergency system, mainly to do with the four-hour standard. So remember that you can earn anything between £58 and somewhere up to £237 for the most attendants. What's been decided recently is that if you see fewer than 95% within the four hours, as decreed by the four-hour standard, you get fined for every patient underneath that standard and you get fined £200. So you actually pay £200 for a patient who you might have charged £58 for if you don't make the four-hour standard. And that's all the way down to 92%. And it's done every month. So if you saw 98% next month, but you only saw 92% the month before, that doesn't even out. So every month they look at this and they may fine you. So if you're getting your coding wrong, the gaps between those two sums become even greater and you're actually paying even more money to see these patients. That's absurd. I never said that any of this made any sense. This is just the system we have to work with. And people at the college and in the Department of Health, I'm sure, are trying to make this work a bit better. This is the system we have at the moment, and so we have to work with it. We've always had encouragement to make them for our standard for lots of reasons, and it's become a obsession, may I say, with many hospitals, departments, because of not just the way that you're seen by outsiders, but now it's financial. Many trusts are going to be losing hundreds of thousands of pounds per month because of these fines. And they will be worsened if you're not accurately coding the work that you're doing. So you could get into the situation that if you're failing your target by significant margins, your ability to support your service is going to go down, which means you'll have less money for staffing, which means you're more likely to fail your target. Now we're getting into politics, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem to make... (laughs) any particular sense does it but then there's all sorts of things that we do that don't make any sense and all we can really do is mitigate for the decisions that have been made by others of course the other thing you can do is you can stand as an mp and you can try and make change at the uh, at the actual roots of all of the problem or you can write slightly you know cheeky tongue-in-cheek blog posts about how much targets uh, (laughs) affect things and whether you think they're good or not and you can rant a bit and uh, I have to admit writing blog posts can help at the key to all of this is we just need to tell people what it is we actually do Mm. and if we do that and we communicate that accurately then we can actually do our jobs as doctors nurse practitioners anything you do in the emergency department becomes more relevant and that's why it's important 
from my perspective, we've got cost pressures coming through in emergency departments every year. So we're supposed to reduce our funding in healthcare by whatever percentage it is this year. So my understanding is if you can put these codes in, you can get more money flowing through the system. You can use that to offset about those efficiency savings. So if you go up year on year and you do better, you can use some of them funds there. And I think it is one of those questions which really only hits you when you become a consultant, doesn't it? I think at junior level, to some extent, apart from being nagged every so often to do the coding better and to write better notes, you don't really see the implications of this until you get into consultancy. We're all generally pretty intelligent people, I think. And we like to see the outcomes for what we do. You make a change, you do something, you want to see what happens. And that's why... I thought it'd be useful to try and explain this today because this is why it matters. If you don't see what's happening, you don't understand, it doesn't become important. It's just another chore along with all the other things you're asked to do that may not seem important to patients. But actually, this will change patient care. The reason I came across this is because the famous code VB11Z, stick with me here, this is the code where you do no investigations and no treatment. And locally, our CCG had demanded that we reduce that by 50% because they felt that there were too many people coming to us to whom we didn't do anything. So as the consultant who did a bit of this coding IT stuff, I was asked to try and reduce this. When I looked at it, about 18,000 patients were going into this code from our cohort of maybe about 100. But when you look into it and dig deeper, you find out that the majority of those are either being miscoded or there's been a misunderstanding or a, a mistake in the system that means that that actually they're not patients we're not doing things too and remember this is another really important point you get paid for the emergency department attendance and for the inpatient attendance so if the patient gets admitted this coding is still important a large cohort of those patients to whom nothing was done were what we were called expected patients so they'd come in via the emergency department but to see the acute medics or the cardiologists or the orthopedic surgeons and because their coding systems were different it wasn't taking account of the stuff that was done in our department because they're still using our space they're still using our services they're still using our nurses and so that's why it's important okay there's a couple of things i still think doctors and, and um, nurses aren't terribly good at this um, they're not they don't have that kind of brain to go and record this stuff um so have you ever considered using people who are not doctors and nurses to go and do the coding for you we did we, we did an experiment about two or three years ago now where we got somebody in to go through all the cards and recode them and i think we went up in funds by about twenty thousand pounds for a month by doing so um, and we've done things since then to try and improve the coding but i still think we're missing it i just do wonder whether it's somebody else's job and not the clinicians to do what do you think about that I guess there's always going to be challenges to try and communicate what's important. Now, the way we've set up our system is that the recording of the things you've done form also the discharge information that you're sending to the general practitioner via the letter. It's all done in the same thing. Now, I think it's important as clinicians that we tell our colleagues in primary care what it is that we've done. Doctors wouldn't come up to you and say, do you know what, I haven't bothered writing any notes today. Well, why haven't you done that? Oh, well, because I was looking after patients. This is part of what medicine is. We have to communicate to our colleagues so that they know what's happened. Oh, did you know that Mrs. Bloggs had an x-ray and she had these blood tests and she had an ECG and this is what we thought was wrong with her? So the system should combine to do it all. There are ways in which you can make the system work for you. So, for example, if you request an x-ray on the same system, it should be able to record that you've done an x-ray and form part of your discharge coding but you'd actually be surprised at how difficult that is to get the systems to do those things. But I'm working on it. 
So, big lessons. One, it could come up in an exam, so you really do need to know about this sort of stuff. I think that's probably fair. There is always a motivation to learn stuff for exams, and I wouldn't put it as number one, but yeah, it's a reason. Number two, um, when you become a consultant, you are definitely going to have these conversations. All the time. And like everything, knowledge is power. So if you understand the system, you can make it work for you and you can get stuff that you otherwise might not have got. And number three is if you integrate this into your patient care, into your discharge summaries, you're just doing good care. I think that's entirely right. And it's all about communication. The other couple of things I just want to reiterate is remember that you're coding for both the emergency department episode and later on for the inpatient episode Somebody else will sort that out. But you get paid for both. So even admitted patients, and that for us is about 20% of them, need this doing and it needs to be done accurately. Remember that it has a knock-on effect for how you're perceived by your commissioners. And that's important because actually a lot of our jobs depend on what other people think it is that we do. And the bottom line is, is just record what you do. And if you do that, everybody will be happy. Um, so that was really, oh, that was better than I thought it was going to be. And I think I'm more interested in coding than I was about half an hour ago. And I think it is a really important subject. It is genuinely a really important subject. Um, there's just one more thing I needed to ask you, if that's all right. Go for it. Um, it's uh, £237. That's the uh, the top amount of money that you can get. Is that correct? That Well, that's correct. Don't forget there is a major torma chariot. Don't forget there is a major torture. <laughs> <laughs> major torture tariff. A ma- <laughs> Don't forget there is a major trauma tariff which actually earns you considerably more should you meet the best practice guidelines. And so that can be several thousands. But for your normal emergency department patient, £237. Okay, is uh, 237 a prime number? I don't know. Well, you should. You've said it about 50 times. You should have at least checked out the number. I'm going to check each of these numbers to double check whether or not any of them have little numerical uh, quirks about them that make them even more satisfying than they currently already do. It's oh, well, probably... I can tell you, t- 237 is not a prime number. Um, 79 times 3 is 237. Um, but it is a lucky number, which is very interesting. In mathematics, it is a lucky number. Why is that? Um, it's part of Aronson's sequence. Okay, so... Uh... I suggest a trip to Dr. Wikipedia after here. I will be visiting. And thank you for proving that I'm not the most geeky one on this podcast. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Anything else you want to say or should we call it quits? Just keep coding and there'll be more on the blog site giving you some of the details about the numbers, what you need to do. But just think about what you do and click carefully when you're filling in your discharge summaries. Awesome. Enjoy your emergency medicine, folks. Take care.